Well, this story, this tale of the journey to Emmaus is absolutely central to the story of the faith life of the church of Jesus Christ and the world today. And so I want to spend some time this morning unpacking that story and talking a little bit about how we got to where we are right now. So let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Holy and merciful God, let our hearts burn within us. Set us on fire and remind us of who we are. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The question of communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, is absolutely central to who we say we are as Christians in the world. It is something who, outsiders of the church, is a little bit weird. You may, like me, share some Jewish extraction, as my grandpa Maury Silverman would say. And so perhaps you celebrated Passover seders, as I did growing up, Rabbi Lewis. And I would go and we would have the special Kiddush cup, the silver vessel emblazoned with an image of Jerusalem on it. I was the youngest son, so I got to say the readings always. I could still do it. It's, it make you learn something like that when you're five. You just, you're going to learn it forever. And we would have this Kiddush cup, and it was special because it had wine in it, you know? And you're a little kid, and you get to drink some wine. Ooh. It's Manischewitz wine. It's, it's marginally wine. I mean, it's... But, you know, it was, it was exciting and special. What is it, Rabbi? What is the cup, the special cup, this beautiful chalice? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mitzvot. It's a blessing. How is a cup a blessing? Well, it's a thing you do, and you do it, and you're blessed. Well, can you say more about that? Well, I can, but, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit confusing. What we're doing is we're celebrating by taking wine, which is a luxury item. We're going to rest. Today is the Sabbath, and we want to remember that God commanded us to have Sabbath rest together on that seventh day. So we're going to have this time for remembrance and that makes a little bit of sense to a little boy. And it's enough, because then you get to have challah after the cup, and that's like the best bread in the world. So you're happy. Well, then you grow up and you go to seminary. And you, you find out you're a Christian. And you see Jesus doing this thing with the cup, and you know what that is, because you grew up doing it. It's the Kiddush cup. You know? It reminds us to, to keep the Sabbath. Well, except that Jesus does something really, really, really weird. He does something really weird. Two things, in fact. The first thing that he does, which is not the super weird part. I'm going to get to the super weird part in just a second. But the first thing that he does is he says, this cup. We all say, yes, we know the cup. It's the cup of blessing. It's Passover. He says, this is me. I am this. I'm this. So then we have this phrase in Christianity. We say, Jesus is our Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. We call him Lord Sabbath. Is he the Lord of the Sabbath? Is he like the king of Saturday? <laughs> in some Christian traditions, yeah. I mean, there's groups of Christians out there that they're called Seventh-day Adventists because they really think it's very important that we get this whole week thing figured out. 
But for us reformed types, we say, well, the Sabbath isn't a time, it isn't a place, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And when we're in him, we're in Sabbath. But that's not the super weird thing that he does with the Kiddush. The weird thing that he does is he takes the bread and the cup and he says, this is my body and this is my blood. You're going to eat these things. And every time you do it, you're going to do it in anamnesis, in remembrance of me. That is very strange. Almost everything that we do in Christianity, almost all of our rituals, be they baptism by water, whether it's flowing water or fresh water, whether you're sprinkled or dunked, uh, whether it is the music that we sing, the prayers that we pray, almost everything that we do, you can find in some other religious tradition out there in the world that predates Christianity. And I know for some people, I don't know why, but I know for some people, a thing being old makes it good. Uh, or a thing being old makes it true. Uh, and I know the flip side of that coin is that if a thing is new, it's probably bad. And a thing is new, it's probably not true. But because of that, some people are really fascinated with what is the oldest? What was the first? How would we get back to the, the words in red? If we could just get back to the absolute beginning, then we would be closest to the truth. That's hogwash. It's nonsense. It's not how anything works. Um, if that was the case with science, we would still think that, like, you know, the sun goes around the earth and there's ether and, and like phlegmatic humors and stuff. There's only in religion do people play this game where like we got to get back to the earliest, the oldest. And then one of the issues with Christianity is you can't get there from here. You can't. We can't. This document was created hundreds of years after the things that happened in it happened in languages that were not spoken by the people that the things happened to. OK, but in all of this. We can look around the world and we can see ancient traditions from Mesopotamia, from the Fertile Crescent, from the Levant, and all of them we see these whispers of things that will someday become Christianity. But you know what we don't see? We do not see a God telling people to eat them. The word for that is theophagy. It means to eat God. And it is a very, very strange practice. So strange is this practice of eating God that the church has debated about what it means for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, we've been puzzling over why Jesus told us to eat him. And if this is sounding weird, it's because it's really weird. The only reason we don't think it's weird is because we do it all the time. And we've done it since we were kids and we're brought up to think it's perfectly normal. But if you wandered in here off the streets and you've never heard of this Christian stuff before, and then I get up there with my fancy uh, scarf and I say, this is the body of God. This is God's blood. Now come up here and eat some and give it to your kids. You're probably going to call the cops because these people are doing something really weird. And that's okay. Because if it's not transgressive, it's not redeemed. You see, whenever we draw a line and we say, on this side of the line is appropriate and on this side of the line is inappropriate behavior, Jesus jumps right over to the other side of that line. Every time. And every time that we think he can't, he can't do that, he, do, he goes and does it. I mean, it would, it, it would be enough that he ate and drank with sinners. would be enough that he drank alcohol with... He, Jesus, at one point, gives wine to drunk people. It's a thing that he did. It's in the Bible. 
at prostitutes, and then he, he washes people's feet, which that's inappropriate like by today's standards, right? If you went to, you know, Meyer and got a basin of water and started washing people's feet, they'd put you away. Jesus does all of these things, and he transgresses all of these boundaries. So why wouldn't we have this bizarre ritual that is incredibly transgressive? And you know it's transgressive because people still argue about it. And we just went through this thing called COVID. I mean, we're still going through it. COVID is still screwing things up for the church. And we as good, enlightened, progressive, science-thinking Christians had to answer this question. Is this safe? Is this a plague vector? Well, is it supposed to be safe? I, I, I don't know. I know the fun games that we like to play around it. You know, the, how many of you probably remember that, I'm not, I'm not supposed to call them this, but the shot glasses. We used to take communion out of those little, yeah. And, and, and boy, howdy, in the 90s and the 2000s, when you had, you know, millennial ministers being ordained, and we started saying, we, this, these shot glasses have got to go. This is like a huge pain. We, why don't we just go back to the cup? People lost their minds. It was like we were, it was like we were going to burn a golden calf or something. But you know where those little cups came from, right? They were introduced in the 1910s and 1920s to prevent the spread of tuberculosis. That's where those cups came from. So the baby boomers, parents, grew up drinking out of those little cups every single Sunday. But you know when they introduced those little cups? People lost their minds, especially the Methodists. They said, excuse me. <laughs> Shot glasses with my Jesus in my church? So we play this game where we try to figure out what we're supposed to do. You know the cleanest and most sanitary way to take communion? It's what the Roman Catholics have been doing for 1,400 years. You have a bronze cup, because bronze is um, a natural, um, kills the bugs on it, I don't, antimicrobial, and there's alcohol in the wine. And you sip, and then they wipe. And then that's, that's the safest, most hygienic way to take communion. But if you think I'm going to get a room full of Protestants to sip out of the same cup, you, you're, you're crazy. And we wonder, well, what happens if I drop the bread into the cup? If I drop the bread on the ground, did I just drop Jesus on the ground? You know, one time I served at a big cathedral-setting church, and the stone was made of, uh, of, con of, of uh, marble. And I dropped a 160-year-old communion chalice that held about a half a gallon of wine and it sounded like a grenade going off, and the, it was everywhere. And Scott Haldeman, my professor of worship, he came and he gathered me up in his arms like a little baby bird because he knew I was going to have a meltdown right there in front of all those people. He said, it's okay. It was supposed to happen this way. If it wasn't, it wouldn't have. So what we're doing is we're making all of these gestures, all of these signs, all of these little movements towards something that is called anamnesis. That's the Greek word. It's the word that's in the Bible. It's the word that Paul uses when he writes about communion, and it's a very strange word, and it essentially means an unforgetting. An unforgetting. Not just simply remembering. We use the, the English word remember. Do this in remembrance of me. But that, that word is a, it does a lousy job because we use the word remember as like, oh, I've forgotten something. I need to remember to get groceries on my way home or I need to remember to put gas in the truck. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you have amnesia. 
You don't even know that you have it because that's part of having amnesia. This is the medicine for your amnesia. When you take the bread and the cup and you listen to the prayer, you're going to have an unforgetting. You're going to have an unforgetting. And what it is going to be is the opposite of dismemberment. Because you have amnesia, because you went out there into the world where you're sent, where you're commissioned, you have amnesia and it has dismembered you. Like your body has been broken into little bitty pieces and cast to the wind. And I have to fix that. I have to put you back together. I have to remember the opposite of dismember. Remember. What? What am I remembering? What are we remembering? The body of Jesus Christ. That is who you are. So, we have this very transgressive thing that we do that we call communion or Thanksgiving or Eucharist. But the entire purpose of the sacrament is to remind you of who you are. You are members of one body. And it is the body of Jesus Christ resurrected, alive, at work in the world for its salvation. And as often as we do it, we put him back together. And then he goes. Where he goes, we follow. That's what it means to be his disciple. So, what does it all mean? I think if we've been given another 2,000 years, we'll probably have it sorted out. As for me, I don't keep anybody away. That's a dangerous gamble that I don't want to play because I don't want to run the risk of missing a single piece of that body, presence of Jesus Christ, because that's who you are to me on Sunday, every single one of you, no exceptions, forever and ever, amen.